This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, it's episode number 146 of Play by Playcast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you have found this year's podcast. It is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster, a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. My name is Joel Gadet. You can find this podcast on social media at PXPCast, or you can find me at Joel Godet. Shoot me an email as well, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Our guest today is Paul Keels. He's the longtime voice, two-decade voice, since the late 90s, of the Ohio State Buckeyes, baritone voice of gold. He'll join us here momentarily. Uh, it's the first time, I think, in this podcast's history, I have recorded the intro, and the outro for that matter, um, without having heard the interview. I taped the intro, and then spoke to Paul Keels. So we're both about to find out what Paul is going to say together, right here. Paul's been a voice for all seasons. Uh, experience in baseball, a little bit with the Reds, um earlier in his career as well, and then we'll talk, I think, (laughs) about uh, his involvement uh, in the early running to become one of the first voices of the Tampa Bay Rays, or at that point, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, Um, football, basketball, most certainly at Ohio State, and previously in his career at Michigan. Yeah, not just a house divided, broadcaster divided. Well, we know who writes the checks, so not split loyalties, but he has had dual loyalties or one loyalty at a time. At various points in his career, uh, he also did spend some time um, with the Detroit Pistons earlier on in his career as well. Uh, if you live in the state of Ohio, you know those deep pipes, and they join us now. Paul Keels, our guest on episode 146 of PXP Cast. Well, really, a lot of it has to do, Joel, with the great passion that people have for Ohio State football and basketball to a lesser extent, but... You know, something that so many people have grown up following uh, as a sports team that has meant so much to everybody, whether they've attended Ohio State or not. And I think what we've found over the years, at least in the 21 years I've been doing this, is um, there still are so many people that don't watch it on TV or can't watch it on TV and can't attend the game. So. The radio ends up being an accompaniment to their busy lives, whether they're taking their kids to their games or whether they're at work or they're going from one place to another. And and, and I think we just have been able to find over the years that it's still something that's very much part of keeping people connected to a, uh, an athletic program that means so much to them. How, uh, how awesome is that responsibility when you, when you think about it in those terms? It's, <clears throat> it's very awesome, but I can also say, too, that it's the same approach – that I had when I was doing games at the University of Cincinnati. I'm sure the same approach that, that people take, whatever school it is that they're announcing games for, uh, you want to do all of the things that do justice to the effort to 
you know, making sure that those that are listening are given as much information as, as you could give them, that they're following the game as much as they need to. So, you know, that, that kind of reminds me a few years ago when the Big Ten Network first came out and they were having issues with games being carried by the local cable distributors and somebody, there was one of the first games and it wasn't going to be seen widely in Columbus. Somebody asked if that meant that we put more effort into that game than, than any others. Like, <laughs> no, you don't, you don't really do it any different regardless of, you know, how much it's televised or all of that. You do the same for, uh, you know, a game that's of big importance, like a conference championship game or a bowl game as you would for a non-conference game. That's got a big point spread. Yeah, now now that now that it's not on television, I, I actually I, I will prepare it for this one. Uh, would be the odd way to do that. Uh, um, <laughs> what is what is your approach to a game? Uh, how long? Like, what's how do you lay out your football week when when you're getting ready for a Saturday? Well, a lot of that has to do with um, uh, you know, there's usually a Monday press conference with a head coach, uh, and then also out of that is the time that I have to get with the head coach to record. Uh, we do little two-minute daily shows that run Monday through Friday. Uh, then the, the rest of the week also is kind of dictated with a Thursday one-hour weekly radio show with a head coach. Uh, and that also involves uh, recording the Saturday pregame interview. But around that, then, <clears throat> you know, we have uh, a two-hour Monday night show that airs on our network with, uh, that I'm involved in with a handful of other people. Um, the weekly on-air responsibilities I have with our radio station, and then in the midst of, in the middle of all of that, you're working on your game chart, going through game notes, uh, you know, trying to put as much information on your chart, probably more information than you would ever use, and uh, then also <clears throat> what I've done over recent years, DVR, it allows you to record uh, games of the upcoming opponents and be able to watch that as much as possible, just to get familiar with the names and numbers of players on the other teams knowing that you're more familiar with ohio state so it's uh, the course of the week is most of the work uh, and I, I like to tell people it's kind of like preparing for a test in school you do most of the work before the the test so that by the time it gets there you've hopefully got everything where you need to have it how do you cut through the noise in a, in a setting like that though and and what i mean is you know if you go to a press conference certainly you'll you'll learn something from that but you also will get a lot of the coach speak answers to that and when you start researching players i used to be the person who would sit in front of my computer and would like scribble down okay well this fifth year senior when he was a freshman averaged 2.3 points per game and against stony brook um had 15 on this night in january and like eventually you realize it's good to be prepared but at some point it's like paralysis by analysis um what cuts through for you and what are the most important things you need to know and find um, so it can narrow down just sitting there and, and thumbing through everything over the course of, you know, six days leading up. Well, in a lot of cases, uh, some of that will involve with a particular player or a team, what they've done during the course of that season. And you can even trim it down even further. What did they do the previous week? Uh, you, you can also go back and look at, you know, maybe what they did the previous year against the same opponent. Uh, sometimes going back into their high school background, can be a little helpful, but, you know, that's where you can get a little crazy. And the, and the other part of it, too, is especially on radio, you have to be care, be careful about, you know, really whipping people with too many stats because folks that are listening on the radio, they're basically listening to keep up with what's going on in the present, what's going on in the game. Uh, so you can round things out about how many carries, and how many yards they have in that particular game or how many catches 
or how many passes. Uh, but the thing you don't want it to get in the way of is the score and the time. And, you know, I was taught a long time ago, you can never get the score and the time too much, uh, describing what part of the field the ball's on, whether it's the right, the left, uh, the opponent's 20-yard line, uh, the, you know, Ohio State's 20-yard line. So you don't want to get the stats to get in the way of, of the basics. And also, there's, it's not not so much comparable to TV, but it's not a bad thing to have a little bit of a pause and a little bit of the, the crowd natural sound, sound to kind of blend in with all of it, too. How descriptive do you like to get? Like, is see the smoke coming out of the guy's, you know, face mask and wipes his hand on his towel, extends his hands, takes the snap, or or can sometimes that get um, too much for some people to handle if they're just trying to tune in for what's happening while they're in the car, or or you know, have it in their ear as they're doing something else? I think a lot of that has to do with the pace of the game, and and especially in football now, in these days of up tempo offense. You really don't have an opportunity to do a lot of that, but it, certainly some of that is nice because you know you're trying to create the image for those who can't see it. So, uh, but the main focus, at least what I try to do, is uh, from football on offense, is set the formation mm. um, and and you know and use things like right and left and not near and far because if you think about it, somebody listening they don't know what near side and far side is uh, because they're not seeing it the way you are. Huh. Um, so mostly formation placement. Uh, if you have a thing, have the opportunity to to do something like wipes his hands on a towel or things like that, then you know that will kind of allow for itself. But um, but you know, just trying to give the picture of, of what the field looks like and the players look like, uh, given whatever time restraints you have, is, is probably the most important. Do thing. Do you long for days of slower offenses so that you can be a little bit more of an artiste? Uh, you know, <laughs> it kind of comes and goes. I mean, you know. We'll see some of it during the course of one game. You'll see the up-tempo, and then, you know, and, and oftentimes in Ohio State's cases, when they've got a sizable lead in the second half, you see that slow down some. So it, it you see a little bit of both in, in, in a particular game. Uh, I read an article where Matt LePay was quoted talking about you, and he said uh, that you allow someone else to do the screaming and just that you are very tempered in the way that you approach things. Um, and, like, when I listen back to – to my own stuff sometimes um screaming is not the right word uh but like you you listen to it it's like gosh you know i i got maybe too excited in that moment um even if it's a big play it's like i wish there would have been a at least a little bit more of a levelness to it um how did you develop the the ability to look at everything in a very even keel fashion so that it comes out that way um as as a product on air well some of it just comes from the fact that trying to keep you watch the game differently when you're announcing it than you do as a fan you know i'm sitting at home watching uh you know one of my hometown teams and it's easy to scream and yell and, you know want to throw things at the tv and all that but when you're watching it while you're working your your attention and your focus is a little different and um you know the thought is always make sure you're still describing it so that the people who are listening can understand what you're saying um because I know what it's like when you listen to, to people when they're screaming and yelling so much, you don't know what's going on. Um, so, yes, you want to inject enthusiasm, especially when the team you're broadcasting for is playing well. Um, and there's nothing wrong with putting some excitement in, even when an opposing team makes a, a truly outstanding play. So, But it's just it's remembering that you're working the game not as a fan, even though you are a fan of the team that you're broadcasting for. But the focus is make sure that you're addressing it 
so that the people that are listening can understand it, uh, given however much emotion you may put into it. Can you take me through your thought process on real big calls? Um, I mean, I'm talking like national championship enders or calls that take Ohio State to the Final Four. Um, do you think about them? Not, I'm, I don't mean it from like the, do you sit down and plan it out or write it out? But when there's four minutes left in a game, will you sit there and think to yourself, all right, Paul, gather kind of where you want to go with this if this is how this ends so that you don't get caught um, not knowing what to say at the end of a game? No, I don't. And, you know, it's funny you bring that up because somebody did going into the 2002 national championship game. Somebody did ask me on one of our pregame shows if I had a line or a couple of lines prepared. And, and, and I don't. And I think a lot of that is because you, when you hear people do that, you can tell that it's kind of a, a rehearsed thing. And it doesn't always sound, at least I don't think it, it sounds natural. Um, just like, you know, to prepare the opening of a broadcast or something. And it just trying to ad lib it and just make it sound like a conversation. Um, you know, I remember the first basketball game I did with Ron Stokes. He asked me, he said, uh, you know, what are you going to say to get a start? I said, Ron, I have no idea. <laughs> it'll just, it'll just happen when it happens. Um, now I just think that when you try and do that, um, it comes off canned and, and like it's rehearsed and maybe not authentic. Uh, and that's not to take away from, from people who do that. It's just not my feeling about how to approach it. And, um, you know, I think, when you're able to just kind of go with it as you would a conversation with somebody, it, it comes off, at least hopefully from what we do, it comes off genuine and sincere. Um, you know, I, it's it's funny because somebody, I think it was the end of the 2002 regular season when, when Ohio State beat Michigan and you knew they were going to go to the Fiesta Bowl and play for the national championship. I spit out the line, the Buckeyes are headed to the desert. That wasn't anything that I had thought about ahead of time. It's just kind of what came out. So, that that's just my feeling and my opinion on it. I think it just um, it, it allows you to just be a little. Um, I'm trying to get the right word here. Just a little more uh, impromptu, a little more uh, authentic, uh, authentic, or, or a little more just in the moment. Do you remember what you said when they won in 2002? Um, just that they'd won the national championship. I think it was and. Uh, you know, I know Jim was yelling in the background, and uh, it was kind of a – because of the way that season went and that game went, it was kind of a stunned surprise to all of us. So, um, you know, and I don't remember specifically what it was, uh, the same as when they won it in 2014 and the same as, you know, three different Final Fours with basketball. You just – you know, I, I, it's nothing, at least in my mind, that's terribly memorable. Maybe it, it probably isn't to other people. It's just, you know, you just try to make sure that – people understand that they won you know get the score out there and and you know point out the significance that you know they've won a national championship is that really the crux of it though too i do 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 we make too much of it as announcers that listen at the end of the day if you say the buckeyes have won the national championship it's not frilly but like it, it gets the point across and it's right and it's accurate and if you say it with the right emotion like that will live on like it needs to in in the annals of of buckeye history well, I, you know, I, I think that oftentimes when somebody uh, is sharp enough or quick enough to come up with a, a catchy line that has been authentic and unique, then uh, that kind of helps make the point even more. Uh, but, yeah, it, 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 you can get a little too caught up in trying to make it a catchy phrase or, or something like that. It's, you know, uh, again, it's it's being simplistic, especially for radio. And maybe it's the same for TV in, in instances like that, but um you know just it's it's about what's just happened it's you know it's kind of like uh the way people view 
officials. Good officials in most games, you don't notice. Um, and so you, what you hope is, as announcers, that people are more focused on what's happened in the game and, and you being able to, to keep them up on the game and less about what you said and how you said it. Except in the final two minutes, because then, then you notice all of them nowadays. Um. <laughs> well, and but but hopefully not. I mean, <laughs> true, you know, true, you true, hope true. That, that you hope that what was a foul 10 minutes left to go in the game <laughs> is the same as one with two minutes left in the game. Um, I, I, I've read too, and I've heard you talk about um, the fact that you were the you were the 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 higher voice or the 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 squeakier voice of those uh in your early years of your career um but i'm curious because i also know that you sang in high school and you did some musicals and things of that nature um how long have you sounded like this and and uh have you put in work and and really worked to hone the instrument to to get it to the point where you've got the the baritone that everyone knows well, my response to things like that usually is your own voice doesn't sound the same to you as it does to everybody else. And I don't know if that's mm. a physical thing, a biological thing, an auditorial thing. Um, but, you know, people are very flattering and complimentary in the things they say to me about the sound of my voice. But <laughs> it doesn't sound that way to me. And I, you know, I imagine a lot of people can kind of understand that. Um, but it's I've been fortunate that the people have felt that, that it has helped me. Uh, you know, I, back in the very early 80s, when I worked in Detroit, I worked for a uh, CBS all-news radio station. That uh, I was probably the youngest person on the on-air staff, but the guys that, that had voices that would make the floor rumble. And I did feel like I was the token soprano working around some of the people that I worked with back then uh, who had had a lot more experience. Um but I'm also have also tried to be very mindful of. Uh, you're right. Your voice is your instrument, and and you have to take care of it. You have to you know not abuse it. Um, you know, many about 20 years ago, the first time I ever came down with laryngitis, I went to an ENT, and he you know he told me something very significant. He said, "Well, it's kind of like a baseball pitcher with his arm. You have to rest it. Um, you know, it's something that yes, it's your livelihood and all of that, but you can't over abuse it." And, it was interesting. He said the people that they deal with with laryngitis and vocal problems more than anybody are school teachers because of how much they're talking in front of a class. So it, it, that's always been something that stuck with me in the last 20 years. Uh, it helps when you live by yourself and there's not anybody else in your house with you for most of the time that you don't have to talk with. Um, but but that the voice does need rest. And, and the other part of it, too, is uh, is not pushing it, not trying to make it sound like something that it's not uh, you know and I, everybody likes to get caught up in in projection and you know from my musical background i do know about pushing from the diaphragm and things like that but um but also you have to make your voice sound natural you see you can't change your voice you can't do anything about that whether it's it's too high too low whatever it is uh, that the only thing you can do is just make it as, as clear as you can and and project it as well as you can what was your favorite role by the way Oh my goodness! You've taken me way back to, <laughs> to so many years. I, I pr probably the one that I would think about it, and it's because it was my first year in college, and I was in a musical production of the I Sing at Xavier, and I was given a role that so many upperclassmen really wanted. It's uh, the role of of a French ambassador who kind of had to sing and speak with a French accent, and I had mostly taken Spanish classes, so I really struggled to try and get a French accent down. Uh, but probably that one, uh, in some ways, because it uh, it was one that was coveted. I also did a production of uh, 
uh, my first year in college, or my, maybe my second year in college, uh, in a musical called Babes in Arms. I was very fortunate to have the lead role in that. And, uh, had a chance to do a number of solos during that production, so that was it was kind of neat to be able to, to have a lead role for one time. In the show. Was that always a f- fun thing on the side, or or do you ever like think back and say, if, "I wonder if I had traveled down that path"? It was always a fun thing, just because you know, even as a, as a young kid, I think you know, the grade school Catholic grade school parish I grew up in, I, I was part of the the grade school choir, um, had done a lot of singing. Uh, in group settings, fortunate to do some singing in individual settings. Um, and my senior year in high school, I got involved in a uh, high school musical, uh, actually not at my high school, but in the neighboring all-girls high school um, that recruited a lot of us guys that, that you know, we had grown up with some of these girls. And I just saw how much fun it was, uh, not just the, the performance part of it, but just how much fun everybody had in a senior class play and, and it made me wish that I had done it previous to my senior year. And that's why I continued to get involved in community theater in my college years. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was just, it, it made for a great group of, and a very different group of friends from what I had had and some of the other things I'd done. I want to go back to the, the laryngitis piece too. Was that in season that you, that you came down with that or was it out of season? Um, I, you know what, that's a, I, I think it was out of season. Okay. So it wasn't some, but, but I have, you know, had a, a couple of different times and actually this past football season, I had an issue in one particular weekend, just with kind of a allergy flare up that kind of creates for a little, uh, a little, for lack of better terms, uh, throat congestion. And I couldn't quite push my voice, uh, the way I normally would. And, it's one of those things you just kind of have to learn your own tricks of what help you get through things like that. Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a membership in the downtown YMCA in Columbus, and they've got a steam room that whenever I get the indication that something's kind of going that way, I spend more time in the steam room. Um, you know, a few of the tricks like the hot water and, and tea and honey and all of that stuff. But, um, yeah, it, again, it's just a matter of when you start to feel it, you know, you're getting a cold or you're getting something like that, you got to get on top of trying to, just make yourself a little better. And, and, and it also involves because I've got a, you know, a regular daily routine at our station. And if I've got to beg off of, of some of the weekly stuff to be ready for a weekend, then you know, I've got to raise my speak up on that too. Yeah. I feel like I've got like a, a doctor of pseudoscience in terms of everything I lay out in front of me when I'm not feeling great to try to get myself through something. Um, I wouldn't recommend it uh, to anyone else, but it works for me. So it is what it is. There. Um, what do you what What do you do with the radio station regularly, too? Like, how do how do you? What are the demands of you in your in your regular job on, on top of being the voice of the Buckeyes? Well, outside of the game schedule and travel for football and basketball and everything, and our station is an all sports radio station. Um, so we have uh, during the course of the day top of the hour sports updates. So I'm involved in doing those during afternoon drive time as well as uh, sports up- updates that we do uh, for our statewide news service, the Ohio News Network. So that is uh, a majority of the Monday through Friday obligation that I have. And that's my involvement uh, once basketball is over until football starts. And, uh, so it, it does involve being at the radio station every day for the most part. <clears throat> um, and it does, when you get into football and basketball schedule, it does add to your workload a little bit. But, uh, you know, but that's kind of, Part of the agreement I made when I came to work there was, you know, not just to do the football and basketball stuff and the coaches shows, but also to be a part of the, the everyday programming. Have you ever thought, like, especially as the industry has evolved as well, um, the the idea of what are the 
what are the other things to do to to make yourself more valuable in essence to to an employer? I guess I don't know. I feel like it, particularly recently when you start getting into more multimedia things and uh, lots of different avenues for content. Um, how have you approached that in terms of still staying on? I guess the the most cutting edge you can be um, of of the the media side of things. Well, I've been fortunate in that I've really not been asked to do an awful lot uh, regarding the social media things that, that become the additional responsibilities. I do do a little bit on Twitter, but it's not something that I've been asked to do or encouraged to do. It's just something I've done on my own. Um, I'm fortunate enough that they allow me that most of my responsibility is, is the on-air part, whether it's the football and basketball games or doing the sports updates. That's nice. Um, the, the thing that I learned a long time ago, and I've tried to really do in the last 21 years, and that is uh, be a good option for our sales departments. And I kind of have to deal with two sales departments. That's our, our network sales staff and our local station uh, sales department in being amenable to meeting with clients, to talking with them about uh, advertising, uh, you know, being available within certain limitations that have been placed on me about doing commercials with people to, to be at uh, speaking engagements, uh, things of that nature. So one of the things I've really tried to do, and, and, and it's it's really helped because uh, by and large, you've got a, a great group of sales reps to work with. Uh, and that is just be helpful to them in dealing with their clients. And sometimes it's even just something as simple as, hey, they're meeting uh, with some clients for happy hour. Do you want to come and just spend a little time with them? So that's something, you know, I when I first got started in this business in the late 70s, I, I saw uh, how great it was to see some of these salespeople interact with their clients. I, I also had a different perspective of it because uh, my father's company at times uh, was an advertiser with different stations that I worked for. And sometimes uh, his company was not an advertiser with stations I worked for because even though I worked there, it wasn't something that was a fit for his business. So, uh, so that's the, the thing that outside of the on-air part that I've really tried to, to be as available as I can, and that's to help the salespeople with their goals. Where else has the industry changed most for the better or for the worse in the, the last 30 years? I think the biggest change in this industry is the fact that you have fewer and fewer uh, competitor stations. And, and what I mean by that is you know, so many of these companies now own multiple stations in the same market so you don't have the competition that you know and a lot of this came from maybe because of getting started working in the news end of things when there were so many stations that had news departments of more than than a couple of people um but there's not that push to try and make you work harder to get better um and and also what that's done to is it's taken away the, the friendly camaraderie that you had with people at other stations um uh, th that's probably the biggest change that I've noticed. Uh, there just aren't the, the expansive number of people that can get into this business and can do the same type of things. And, you know, that you can listen to as a competitor, learn something from, but also uh, where you can share some experiences with people that are in competitive stations. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be as much of that. Well, and I think that's unfortunate. And the idea of having like multiple voices of Michigan football back early in your career. Well, that was, but you know, th that was something. And if you think back to it, uh, Iowa did the same thing for a number of years. Oh, yeah. Even even with Ohio State, there were uh, multi agreements with more than one broadcast company. 
Um, but you know, the, when I worked in Detroit, when Michigan did that, that was Don Canham, who was the athletic director at Michigan. He had the bright idea that, you know, he could get at that time when I was there, there were five stations that did football. So that was five different companies that were paying Michigan rights fees. Yeah. Um, but it also, you know, there were a number of different people who, uh, gave Michigan coverage, uh, people that you got to know who did kind of the same thing. They did it differently, but you had great experiences being around those people. Uh, so, but that's where I think you, just because you don't have as many stations that in, in a particular market that have as many different people doing things that, that, you know, for a listing audience that takes away options for them. What's one thing you've not called yet in your career that you want to call? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've never done hockey, but I don't know the sport well enough to do it. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've substituted as a PA announcer for hockey games. Um, I was going to say, so, so if Bobby Mack got sick, that wouldn't you wouldn't that would be a no. Slow, I, slow I, jump. I couldn't. I, I couldn't bluff my way through that. <laughs> no. Um, you know, I've had the. I, I guess I would say, you know, ever to to do a World Series, even though my baseball experience has been somewhat limited. Um, you know, but growing up in a baseball town and having been a, a lifelong Reds fan, uh, especially during the days of the big red machine, that would certainly seem to be something that would be an awful lot of fun. Um, you know, having the chance to do a couple of Rose Bowls now has been an exciting thing. To do a national championship game in basketball uh, was was a very exciting experience in 2007. So, I, you know, I, I, looking, I, I look more at it as being fortunate to do the things that I've done rather than what's out there that I haven't had a chance to do. Well, I wanted to dovetail off of that, though, because I know, and you've talked about um, being involved in the the pursuit of the Rays job or the Devil Rays job back when they first started in 1998, um, back before you were at Ohio State. Um, And I I, I think of it from the standpoint of, did you know back then kind of where you wanted to go long-term? People have always asked me, um, and they still ask me, like, well, you know, where do you ultimately want to end up? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm, I'm happy doing this. If, if this is what it is, then great. If that's what it is, then great. If that other thing is what it is, then great. Um, did you kind of think to yourself, I want to be a, you know, pillar of Ohio State, and I want to be a big-time Division One voice, or I want to be a Major League Baseball voice, and, uh, or I want to be an NFL voice long-term. And, and how did you? maybe strategically think about that in your mind in terms of where you wanted to steer your career to best accomplish a goal. The best way to start answering that was what I wanted to do is do the best at whatever job I had at the present time. Um, it wasn't, you know, looking for one specific thing or another. Now there was a period of time, <clears throat> excuse me, in the, uh, in the mid to late eighties, um, after I left Detroit and before I got back to Cincinnati the second time, uh, that I, I wasn't uh, able to have the opportunity to be a play-by-play announcer for a particular team. And so that was something that I always wanted to do. And I was very fortunate in 1989 when I was hired to come back to Cincinnati to do games for the University of Cincinnati. Um, and then after three years, the station I was at gave up the rights. There were two years that I wasn't able to do the games because of uh, the situation that involved where the rights went to. Um so I, my thought always was I wanted to be involved in things wherever it was. But once I had gotten back to my hometown in Cincinnati after being gone for the better part of eight years, I knew that it, all things being equal, I wanted to stay there. And then in 1995, I guess it was when I got the opportunity to return to doing the University of Cincinnati, um, then my pursuit was just to continue to do that. And then in 1996, the opportunity to do the Bengals opened up for one season. 
Uh, so I did the Bengals as well as the University of Cincinnati. The Bengals contract uh, with WLW ended after that. So my opportunity was lost. And after that, and because of the company's affiliation with the radio station in Tampa that had the rights for the Devil Rays as they were coming into existence, that created the opportunity to interview for that. Gotcha. And to be able to you know, be one of the final four for uh, the two jobs that were being offered. So it wasn't that, you know, I think everybody who, who grows up around a baseball team and understands the great romanticism of baseball and radio, you hope that that's an opportunity. But, you know, I had not taken the route of going through minor league baseball, so I knew the chances were iffy. There had been a brief uh, discussion years before that with the San Diego Padres for an opening that they had, and I had done some fill-in baseball work. Uh, but basically my approach was just do the best at whatever it was you had. And the Ohio state thing was something that came out of the blue. I did not know the job was going to become open. Uh, I I was contacted by somebody that I knew from the late seventies about it. And uh, so it wasn't something that I ever had on my radar. I was just going to work at doing the best at the job that I had at the present time. And then that puts you in the right position, obviously when the right opportunity comes along uh, as well, when you, when you live in the present. Well, and I think sometimes what you have to be careful about is is if you're constantly looking at what's next and you're constantly looking at other jobs, it, it maybe doesn't do the best service to the job you have at the present time. And, yep. and the other thing is that it may not necessarily be the best thing in the world as far as a reflection upon your employers. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, you've worked in, in all of those stops, though. You've worked with some very interesting characters, um, colorful characters from a coaching standpoint, be it... Um, you know, Jim Trestle or, or Bob Huggins or, or, you know, most recently Urban Meyer. Um, what do you learn? Like, how, do, how does working with men like that make you a better broadcaster? And I, I guess I particularly, most recently, working with someone like Urban Meyer, um, what's different about that or, or, or what makes you better by being around uh, him or them? Well, they're all different in their own ways. And it, the, the most important thing is just to listen and, you know, try and absorb as much as you can from them about their approach to, to a season, to a team, to players as individuals, um, and just kind of pick up on how they approach everything and how it ties into to what goes on with their teams. Um, and, and also the other thing about it, too, is being respectful of their time. Yep. Um, especially the Ohio State head football coaching position. There are so many demands on their time. Uh, you know, you're just and, and they're contractually obligated to do quite a few things with us. But it's be mindful of their time, uh, you know, uh, do what you need to do. If they want to sit and chat and they want to, you know, give you more information and more things. Uh, great. If they don't, then that's fine, too. Um so it's you know learning a little bit of, of how to deal with them how to what the differences are in their personalities and it, it's a real education because there are some people that uh you learn a lot more from some you don't uh some that you realize uh they really enjoy doing these types of things some that they just kind of do it because they have to do it and some that really don't care to do it and uh, so it, it's a very educational experience I think about like when I first got the Ball State job, I could sit in Pete Lembo's office, who was the football coach at the time, and and like we, we would just talk. Um, and I was thinking about it last night in in preparation for this, and I was like, I wonder how 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 often you could sit in Urban Meyer's office and just talk about life, because um, like, I because of the demands on his time and like how even though you're the voice of Ohio State, what is the access like, and how do you have to handle that? And and 
get what you need, build the relationships you need, while also being uh, a piece in a, in a very large machine? Well, it's very different from each person. And uh, with Urban, it was, you know, it was not Urban's favorite thing to do, even though he was contractually obligated to do it. And uh, walk in, sit down, turn the recorder, do the stuff, get done, say thanks to you later, bye. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't, you know, there wasn't uh, developing of a personal relationship there you know there were a few instances where there was a chance to yak a few more times other than that but usually that was outside of the season um you know probably the the best personal interaction i had with him was last sep- last summer uh, at an event in cincinnati and it didn't involve me having to interview or anything like that uh it, but doing the things that we had to do were not his favorite thing to do he would much rather be figuring out how to convert a third down play uh but then there are other guys like bob huggins uh, you could sit there and talk forever and ever and ever with bob sometimes bob you'd have to stop him so that you could do the interview and get done <laughs> uh but that's just uh you know the difference these people thad motto was very much the same way uh, Thad could uh, sit and talk to you, uh, you know, for lengthy periods of time about things that either involve basketball or not. Uh, you know, Chris Holtman is very similar in just how easy and forthcoming and open he is about things both on and off the record. Uh, John Cooper was was fabulous about the amount of time that he gave you and, and the access that he gave you. It's just it's it's different amongst the different people and you know your relationship you know maybe one of the best examples i give was luke fickle in 2011 uh luke was thrown into a very difficult position when he was made the head coach at ohio state for a season but because of having been around him uh i had had actually had gotten no luke's parents through a a non-working relationship Uh, so it created a good comfort zone to deal with a guy that was dealing with a very unusual and difficult situation and handled it probably better than anybody could have given everything that was going on with it. So it just depends on the person and, and how you get to know them, if you've known them before and things like that. Uh, before I let you go, uh, who is the most athletically in, uh, related, uh, most famous alum from uh, Muller High School in Cincinnati? Well, I'd say it'd be a tie between Barry Larkin and Ken Griffey Jr., but I think Buddy Bell has to be up there near the top of the list as well. Where's Paul Keels? Oh, as far as athletics, <laughs> not even on the radar. No, no, no. I mean, you know, if you think about the people that have come out of our high school, you know, Bob Crable, who was a great linebacker at Notre Dame, John Boehner, who was the Speaker of the House for the United States. Um, we've been very fortunate to have some fantastic people come out of Muller who've done a lot of great things. Uh, that have not involved athletics, uh, but you know, no, Paul Keels is uh, no, no. As far as athletics, nowhere up on that list. All right, that is Paul Keels joining us here on Play by Playcast. Thanks as always to Paul for joining us for what I can only presume was a fantastic conversation. Um, that again, at the time of this recording, has not happened yet. So it went well. Uh, find him on social media at Paul Keels. Pretty straightforward. Um, and you can find him on the air as well for Ohio State uh, football and men's basketball games and 97.1 The Fan in Columbus. Uh, if you get the opportunity, drop him a line on Twitter. Let him know you caught the pod. Uh, or if you know him, let him know you caught the pod through other channels. Uh, we always appreciate it when folks um, reach out and uh, let our guests know that their their time was uh, well used and appreciated by those that uh, were on the other end of, uh, of the conversation. Uh, also rate and review the pod. If you get an opportunity here, stop and, uh, throw some stars and, or comment our way on iTunes. We always appreciate that. And then we will see you back here next week for another episode of PXP cast. In the meantime, seven day 
little seven-day hiatus for us. We'll talk to you next Friday. Same bad time, same bad channel. We're out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.